And today, I know some messages, there's, there's different kind of messages. If you were here at Good Friday, who was here Good Friday? Show of hands. A serious, somber, reverent, rightfully so message. Well, today is a celebration. Come on, somebody. We're going to party in this place. We're going to have a good time. He is risen. The stone could not keep him. The nails could not hold him. Death could not contain him. Because Jesus is risen. Because the tomb is empty, you don't have to be empty. Because the tomb is empty, your life can be full. And that's amazing news for each one of us in this place. Come on, church. Make some noise. We're going to have a party with Jesus this morning. I'm so excited about it. I'm telling you, I have never been more excited to preach than I am right now. Now, and we worship a God of new life, of new beginnings, of fresh starts. And maybe you're here this morning and you need a fresh start. Maybe you need a new beginning. Maybe your relationship needs a new beginning. He is a God who can bring life from death, who can take tragedy and turn it into triumph. I wanna call on you today to believe in him. Christians believe, unchristians believe. Believe in Jesus Christ. Believe in him. He's changed Derek's life. I love that. He has changed my life, and he has changed the lives of so many in this room, and he wants to change yours, and he can, and he can. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. On Easter Sunday, 2016, we are expectant. We believe that you are going to move in this place and that you are going to move in our hearts this morning. We thank you that by the sacrifice of your son, every person in this room can be reconciled to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Our lives can be transformed in the name of Jesus Christ. God, we thank you that when it seemed all hope was lost, on that third day you arose. You came through for us like you always do, conquering death validating all your truth claims. And Lord, we celebrate you and praise you this morning for that glorious resurrection. And God, this morning, right now, I speak into broken hearts, broken dreams, broken relationships, broken lives, knowing that you can restore, that you can heal, that you can bring new life you are God of resurrection. We believe in that this morning. We believe it on a theological level, and Lord, I pray as we leave, we would believe it on a personal level in our hearts, each one of us, this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Amen. We are going through the book of Ecclesiastes. If you're new, it's a book in the Old Testament, a really small book written by a guy named Solomon. And as a church, for the last few weeks, we've been working through it. And Ecclesiastes is written by a man named Solomon. He's a very wise man, very wealthy man, very influential man. Somebody who has everything or had everything you or I could ever want. We could ever imagine. Anything you could dream about, Solomon had it. And in a book we read that Solomon tries so hard to find meaning in life, tries to find satisfaction, but he's empty. And I love his vulnerability in the book. I love that he's actually open and honest and shares he's empty, he's not fulfilled, he's not complete, he's not satisfied. So Solomon, just like us, tries to fill that emptiness, that incompleteness with pleasures, with sex, 
with wisdom, with wealth, with power. But at the end of the day, again, he's real and says it feels so meaningless. It just doesn't seem to satisfy. And I've been there. I've been there. Maybe you have too. Maybe you're there now on this passionate pursuit of pleasure. But the pain's still there, isn't it? The emptiness still there. It feels like we were made for something more, doesn't it? It does to me. It certainly does to Solomon. So at the end of his search, having experienced all that you could ever imagine, a thousand, all you guys who are trying to chase women, a thousand women he had at his disposal. You want money? He had all the money you can imagine, all the power. He had it all. Here's what he says in Ecclesiastes 2.17, kind of a summation of the first few chapters of the book. He says, so I came to hate life because everything done here under the sun is so troubling. Everything is meaningless, like chasing the wind. With all his power, success, pleasure, he still didn't feel complete. He still didn't find what he was looking for. He was promised fulfillment, but the promise of pleasure did not deliver for him. It did not deliver for him. And I don't know everyone's story in this room from the front to the back. But I do know this about you. You've pursued pleasure that has not delivered on his promise. It does not fulfill. God knows how we're made. Clearly writes about it in there and tells you it does not fulfill what you're looking for. We all fall for the same trick, don't we? Same lie every time we fall for it. We were told by commercials, by songs, by movies, by our friends, if you could get that job, if you could get that girl, if you could have that house, if you could get that car, then you'll have the completeness you're looking for, the fulfillment you're looking for, the joy and happiness that you're looking for. But some of us are old enough to have gotten the girl, to have bought that car, to have moved into that house, still wondering, is there more to this? There's got to be more, surely, this can't be it. Maybe Solomon's right. Maybe it is all vanity. Maybe it is all vanity. But today's Easter Sunday. It's Celebration Sunday for this church. So I come bringing good news. We're here to talk about the one thing in this world that does deliver on its promise. Or better yet, the one person who does deliver, who always delivers on his promises. His name's Jesus Christ. And I've learned something in studying the book of Ecclesiastes um, in the book, there's these problems, this problem of um, vanity and meaninglessness, and he's talking about it in the book. Life is, has no point. And I've learned that the solution to that problem of Ecclesiastes is actually not found in the book of Ecclesiastes. And the solution to our problem, the meaninglessness, the vain pursuits, the emptiness, it's not found within ourselves. So it's not found in Ecclesiastes. It's not found within themselves. The solution to Solomon's problem and to our problem is found in an empty tomb. It's found in a risen Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. Death could not hold him. The grave could not contain him. Come on, somebody. And we're going to celebrate him today. And, and we have something thousands of years later. See, Ecclesiastes was written thousands of years ago. We have something Solomon did not have. With all his wisdom and insight, he, did, he was not able to look back at the verifiable claims of the resurrection, the historical facts of the resurrection. And we have that 
this morning. And it is upon that resurrection that we build our life. If you're a Christian here, if you're like not a Christian, you're wondering what we're doing here, our whole life is built on that resurrection. If that didn't happen, let's just shut this thing down. Let's all go drinking tonight and have a great time. But if it did happen, now we have a purpose. Now life has meaning. Life is not vanity if Jesus really rose from the dead. And that's what we believe as Christians. That is core to our faith. Here's some questions for everyone in this room to consider. How did 12 followers, how did 12 followers of Jesus, fishermen, tax collectors, common men, 12 basically uneducated, with no connections, men, how did 12 people multiply to where now one out of every three people in the world identifies themselves as a follower of Jesus? How'd that happen? The answer is the resurrection. Resurrection changed everything. It actually split our calendar from B.C. to A.D., the resurrection. The most important, impactful event in the history of the world. Think about this. Jesus never wrote a book. Yet there are more words, more pages, more books written about Jesus than any other figure in the history of the world. Why the resurrection? Jesus never traveled within 100 miles, outside of 100 miles of his hometown. Yet now, on every corner and, co- and nook and cranny of the globe, you can find a Christian. Why? The resurrection. Jesus never painted anything, I don't think, as far as we know. Yet there has been more artwork dedicated to Jesus than any other person in history. Why? The resurrection. The resurrection. I don't know if it's recorded anywhere that Jesus ever wrote a song or sang a song. Yet there are more songs sung about Jesus and to Jesus than any person in history. Why would that be? The resurrection. The resurrection. And what's interesting about the resurrection, what we're going to look at today, is it didn't just happen. It wasn't just something that no one expected. Jesus actually promised that he would rise from the dead. And I want to look at that passage with you in John 2. If you have a Bible, you could turn there. John 2, verse 13. John 2, if you don't, don't worry about it. We'll have it on the screen for you. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. There's all kind of religious people sometimes that will take advantage of Christian people, of believers, and Jesus is not very fond of them. And making a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables. This is macho Jesus here. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. He was passionate about the house of God. Verse 18 All that gives kind of the uh, backdrop to this point here. So the Jews said to him, what signs do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. 
He promised. They didn't all fully understand, but he promised them. You guys strike me down. You guys can kill me. You can marginalize me. You can push me off. You can ignore me, but in three days, I'm coming back. You mark it down. You put it in your eye cows. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And I'm sure when they heard that, you know, they had to think, yeah, right, Jesus. Sure, doubt it. We've all heard promises made by big figures, politicians. If you're listening to the news, we're going through an election cycle right now. You're going to hear a lot of promises that will never be fulfilled. This is how it works in politics. Maybe you've had a friend or family member or loved one promise you something and never fulfill that promise. It hurts. Well, when he promised this, I'm sure they had to wonder, sure, Jesus, doubt it. Yeah, right, But I want to move forward into the story a little bit. Many of you know the story of Jesus. They actually did murder him. They actually did hang him on a cross like a criminal. And he died on Friday night known as Good Friday. They took his body down from the cross and they laid him in a borrowed tomb. We talked about this Friday if you were here. And after his death and burial, his followers must have thought, this has all been a lie. I've just wasted three years of my life following this guy. I gave up my home and my family to follow this guy. He, he told me he was the Messiah. How could he, how would God, why would, if he was God, how could he die like that? Surely he would have called down angels. Surely at the last minute he would have gotten off that cross. There's no way he could be God. All his promises that he had made to them, all the hopes they had, the faith in him began to slowly be dashed be dashed. They were dejected, discouraged, disheartened. And I want to read to you from a guy named Russell Moore. He writes about this in a beautiful way. He says, that night, this is the night Jesus died, fathers probably told their sons, watch out that you don't ever wind up like him. Those Roman soldiers probably went home and washed the blood of Jesus from under their fingernails and played with their children in front of the fire before dozing off. This was just one more insurrectionist they had pulled off a cross. One in a line of them dotting the roadside. And this one, what was his name? Jesus? He was just decaying meat now. No threat to the empire at all. That corpse of Jesus just lay there in the silences of that cave. By all appearances, it had been tested and tried and found wanting. If you'd been there to pull open his bruised eyelids, matted together with mottled blood, you would have looked into blank holes. If you'd lifted his arm, you would have felt no resistance. You would have heard only the thud as it hit the table when you let it go. You might have walked away from that morbid scene muttering to yourself, the wages of sin is death. But sometime before dawn on a Sunday morning, A spike, torn hand, twitched, a blood-crusted eyelid opened. The breath of God came blowing into that cave, and a new creation flashed into reality. On that third day, that stone began to shake. The ground began to tremble. Death was arrested. The grave was evacuated. Jesus, the promised, prophesied Son of God, rose from the dead. Up from the grave, he arose. Come on, somebody. Can we give Jesus a shout of praise? He rose. He's not in the grave. We serve a risen Savior. And that's what we're celebrating today. And here's my message for you. All of that was to say this one point. 
In our passage we read in Luke how Jesus promised us the resurrection and he fulfilled that promise with glory, majesty, and power. We still talk about it. We still celebrate it thousands of years later. He fulfilled that promise. If he did and he did, that means every other promise he made is now true too. The resurrection validated Jesus, verified Jesus. That means he is a God who can bring life from death. That means there is hope for you. That means your life does have a purpose. That means the best is yet to come. That means this is not all vanity. Because the tomb is empty, our lives can be full. Because the tomb is empty, you don't have to be. You don't have to be. He promised resurrection and he came through on that promise. If the promise of the resurrection is true, then his other promises are true and what he said about the Bible is now true. This is why we believe the Bible. What he said about, says about God, about life, about faith, it's all true. Validated by this amazing resurrection. And so what I wanna do, I wanna read some promises to you guys. Does that sound good? Yeah? This is a pro, this is, these are promises, these are my favorite verses in the Bible. Promises over believers. Now if you're here, you're not a believer, just listen to this, you're missing out on this awesome stuff here. Here's some promises for you if you're a follower of Jesus verified, validated by his resurrection. You guys ready for this? One of my favorite verses, Romans 8, 1. From the word of God, there is therefore now no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. How can that be? No condemnation? That's such a final statement there. Well, there should be an if, if you behave, if you go to church, if you give. No, it's no condemnation, period, for you if you're in Christ Jesus. Why? Because on the cross, Jesus took your condemnation for you. God the Father looked down at, in disgust at his son, had to turn away so that for you this morning, he can look at you with love, look at you and smile. Why? Because what Jesus did for you, there is no condemnation for you. You can live free, pardoned, liberated. That is a promise over your life. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. This is what's known as the great exchange. He took your mess. He took your badness on himself and gave you his goodness, gave you his record of righteousness, his perfect living, his amazing law-abiding record. That's now given to you as a Christian. Isn't that amazing? You're not, you don't have just a blank slate. You're giving a truckload of the righteousness of Jesus. Your account is overflowing. It is full. That's how we can say Jesus loves you, God loves you unconditionally, because it's not based on your conditions, but on the conditions Jesus met for you. He met your badness with his goodness, your mess with his mercy, your sin with his salvation. And that means that your sin does not define you. That means the sin against you that was done to you, that doesn't define you. That's not who you are. Your Savior, Jesus Christ, defines you. Not your shame, not your guilt, not your sin. He is your identity now. Loved by God is your identity now. That's a promise. Hebrews 13, 5, God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. That means you can turn your back on God but he will never turn his back on you. That's a promise. Hebrews, Romans 8, 
35. Nothing will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Oh, come on. That means he can see you at your worst, and he stays every time. He knows all that you've done. He knows all the skeletons in your closet, and he says, that's my dude. I love that guy. I love that girl. Nothing will separate you from his love. Nothing will separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. Nothing you can do if you're a Christian. You're in. Period. You're in. Woo. Matthew 28, 20. Jesus says, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. He's not going anywhere. That's a promise. Philippians 4, 7. The peace of God. Don't we want peace in this place? Are you tired of a restless heart? Don't you long for peace? He says, the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That's a promise. It is yours. 1 Peter 5, 7, he cares for you. That's a promise. If his promise of resurrection is true, and it is, then all his promises are true. John 16, 33. This is the verse that has been ministering to me lately. In this world, you will have trouble, Jesus says. It's not going to always be easy. There's going to be suffering, pain. There's going to be struggle. But take heart, he says. I have overcome the world. He has overcome. That's the promise. That's the promise. Romans 5.1. You have peace with God because you have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ. That's a promise. In Jesus, you don't just go from death to life. You go from hostility and unrest to peace. You have peace with God. Ephesians 3.12, you may approach God with freedom and confidence. That's a promise. 2 Corinthians 12.9, God's grace is enough for you. It's sufficient for you. It's all you need. That's a promise. 1 John 3.2, when Jesus reappears, and he's coming back, church, you will be made like him. That's a promise. All his promises are true. He is coming back, and when he comes back, you're going to be made into his likeness. I love that verse. Here's the last one I'll read over you. This is one of my most uh, favorite verses in the Bible. Romans 8, 28. All things work together for the good of those who love God. That is a promise over your life. Of a man who walked out of the grave. That means even with your mistakes, even with your mess, God can mold you into his masterpiece. That means God can do big things through broken people. That means your biggest test, that you just don't know if you can pass that test, will one day become your testimony in Christ Jesus. He can take your great mess and turn it into greatness. That's a promise. All things work together for the good of those who love God. Jesus is the only one I know who can take a bloody cross and turn it into an empty tomb. He's the only one I know who can take tragedy and turn it into triumph. We all live in a world of tragedy, but the Christian message is tragedy is not the end. Vanity is not the end. Solomon didn't have the whole answer there. Resurrection is the end. New life is the end. Hope is the end. Jesus is the end. All things work together for the good of those who love God. If you can't say amen in this sermon, guys, I don't know if, if we're, what we're going to do. Can you give Jesus a shout of praise in this place? Yes. If his resurrection is true, all of it's true. You can take it to the bank. This peace that you're looking for, it's there. Our job is to believe. Christians, believe. 
believe this morning. I want to call you to believe. Jesus promised he would rise from the dead. That is an absurd promise. Radical promise, crazy promise, yet he fulfilled that promise. Because he always keeps his promises. If his resurrection promise is true, then his other promises are true as well. If Jesus rose from the dead, that means he really is God. He's alive and well and active and moving even as we speak all across the world on Easter Sunday, moving in people's hearts, moving in people's lives, changing lives as we speak. He is alive, he is not in a grave, he is not buried in some tomb. He is active and working and he's working now. He's working now. Love it, love it. Can I, I'd like to ask Parker to come back up as I begin to close. Wasn't worship great this morning? Yeah. Jesus rose from the dead as he promised. That means that Solomon's despair, Solomon's despair in Ecclesiastes is not the whole story. And that means your despair, your emptiness, your lack of purpose is not the end. A couple years ago, years ago, I was running from God, feeling this emptiness. I had no purpose running from him, pursuing everything I can to try and fill that emptiness. And I didn't even go really searching for Jesus. He came searching for me. He hunted me down with his love and compassion, mercy and grace. He overwhelmed me and drew me to him. He has the 100 sheep and one goes astray. He goes after that one and leaves the 99. He left the 99 for me. I'm that one. And maybe you're that one this morning. Maybe God's coming for you this morning as he came for me. He's changed my life. He changed Derek's life. He's changed the lives of so many lives in this room. And he can change yours. He can make you into a new creation, into a new person. And I have one more promise I want to read. I read some promises earlier that were promises over the lives of Jesus followers, of Christians. Pretty good promises, right? That's the good stuff, in my opinion. That stuff ministers to me. I got one more promise I want to read from Jesus himself. And it's a promise for every person in this room, from the front row to the back. If you've never been to church before or if you come every week, if you're a member or if you've stayed away for 10 years and you're coming just for Easter, this is a promise for you. You guys ready for it? Jesus says in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he shall die, he shall live. That is a promise from a man who walked out of the grave. From a man who could not be held down by death. He says to you now, though you may die, if you believe in me, you shall live. How can we know that's true? Because this guy walked out of the grave. I'm listening to him. I'm trusting in him. I hear lots of promises from Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, but I'm trusting in this guy. Come on, somebody. They didn't walk out of the grave, but he did. Though you die, woo, you shall live. And trusting in him is what Christians call faith. You hear that word faith? What is that? It's trusting this guy. I'm going with him. I'm in his corner. I'm in his corner. And maybe you're here this morning and you're looking for God to do something new in your life. You need something new. You know you need it. I want to call you to do something new. Do something you haven't done. Surrender. Surrender to Jesus. 
put all your eggs in that basket. I'm going with that guy. How do I know it's true? Because he walked out of the grave. No one else is making that claim and verifying it. But he is. Do something new and surrender. And just so we all are all clear here, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, he is not calling you to put on a suit, to fancy yourself up, clean yourself up. He's not calling you to climb your way to him. He's calling you to acknowledge that he's come down to you, that he's gotten dirty and bloody for you. He's a God who comes down. He's a God who pursues, and he's pursuing right now. I believe the Holy Spirit is in this place, and he is working right now. He died for you, and he rose from the grave to verify and validate his authority and power over death, over life, over your emptiness, over your purposelessness, over the vanity of life described in, by Solomon. You guys have access, we all have access to a truth, a truth claim. It's on us what we do with it. We can reject it, we can accept it, we can kind of be lukewarm in the middle and not quite sure where we're gonna do. But the, the claim is there. This dude walked from the dead, rose from the dead. He verified that promise. He made a promise, he kept his word. His promise now for you is if you believe in me, you shall live. Eternal life is yours. The choice now for each one in this room, what are you gonna do with that promise? You gonna believe it? Or walk out of here and, re and reject it? That's on you, we can't do your believing for you. Your parents can't do your believing for you. Your mom can't believe for you. This is a personal thing, it's not your parents' faith, it's a personal faith.